Welcome to Public Power Underground, Northwest Public Power's premier weekly infotainment program that covers Northwest Public Power and public power adjacent news from a power department's perspective. So hey, public power people, on today's show, we'll get an update on Northwest Power Markets on Aaron Reports, cover all the news out of Energy Northwest from their Vice President for Energy Services and Development, Greg Cullen, Hear from BPA's Director of Fish and Wildlife, Crystal Ball, in an interview by Public Power Underground returning special guest correspondent, Matt Tretnick, and cover more public power and public power adjacent news on Public Power Desktop. I'm the voice of the Underground and Economic Development Manager for Klatskin IPUD, Brian Fawcett. I'm Paul Dockery, the Manager of the Power Department, co-host, writer, publisher, and editor for Public Power Underground. I'm Erin Guillory, star of Erin Reports and co-star of Public Power Underground Financial Analyst. Oh, also, quick shout out to Ian for his SQL guru work to adjust for DST invoicing. It's a hassle every year, and he kills it, and it's so much work, and thank you. Thank you, Ian. Great job. I'm, thank you. I'm pretty confident, based on what I've heard on this program, that this is going to be the last year that we'll ever have to make these adjustments. Is that, <laughs> is that right, Paul? <laughs> I like the enthusiasm. I like the optimism most most of all. Thank you for the optimism. We have hope. And returning from a week disconnected from the show is the power analyst for Klatskin IPUD and co-star of Public Power Underground, Ian Bledsoe. Hello, everyone. <laughs> hi, Ian. I thought you were going to say hi, Ian. That was just going to kill it. So we're, uh, we're starting this week, like most weeks, checking on the power market indicators in the Northwest with our first segment, from the self-proclaimed star of Aaron Reports. Aaron. Oh my gosh, did none of the rest of us use the word star? <laughs> That'll be my thing. Second season, here we go. <laughs> this is Aaron Reports, where we try to get up to speed on Northwest market indicators for April 1st, 2021. I'm Aaron Guillory, and I've got your market update for the week. April-September flows at the Dow's are expected to be at 91% of normal, down 3% from last week. Outflow at the Dow's peaked over the past week at 163.6 KCFS on March 30th at 2100 hours. Midday elevation at Grand Coulee on March 31st was 1270.9, down about a foot and a half since last reported last week, as peak outflows increased from a peak of 140.2 KCFS on March 23rd at 0900 hours to peak outflow of 163.8 KCFS on March 30th at 0800 hours. Checking on snow in the region using Antergy's aggregation of basin data, the snow water equivalent for BC Hydro Generation Basin is 119.07% of normal. For mid-sea, 105.88%, and aggregating all the snow in the Columbia River Basin that'll flow through the, through the Bonneville Dam, they estimate there's a 117.74% of normal snow blanket. Spot market power in the Northwest for delivery April 1st is at $26.90 with gas at $2.53 per MVTU, translating to a spark spread of $9.18 and a heat rate of 11 grand. In term markets, bomb for the uh, for mid sea has dropped $1.53 from a week ago, now at $25.78 per megawatt hour. Mid sea power for Q3 2021 is at $88.90 with Sumus gas at $2.80, translating to a heat rate of $31.800 as of March 29th. In bond markets, one Washington Irrigation District issued a taxable borrowing for a total of 6875000 with $2,640,000 uh, due in 10 years with average interest rates and yields of 125 bips. Term bonds of $1,940,000 due 
December 1st, 2036 at an interest rate and yield of 276 bips and term bonds of 2,295,000 due December 1st, 2042 at an interest rate and yield of 310 bips. Taking a look at fish counts for Adult Spring Chinook this week, 19 Chinook passed through the Bonneville Dam this week's Monday, a 12 count up from last Monday. Whew. Spending a beat at Bonneville's Balancing Authority peak load this past week was 8,506 March 30th at 7.30 in the a.m. During loads peak, hydrogen was at 10,792. Windgen was 684 megawatts. Conventional units at 12.27. And nuclear was at 1,125. This week in NOAA climate forecast, the 6 to 10-day outlook has temp in the region with layers in the normal range. Some areas with a 33 to 40% chance of being above normal as you head east and a 33 to 60% chance of being below normal toward the coast. Precipitation is largely anticipated to be normal and having a 33 to 40% chance of being above. Some likelihood of areas anticipated to have a 33 to 60% chance of being below normal precipitation in their 90-day report. And that's all we've got for this update. Back to you, Brian. <clears throat> right. Thanks for the report, Aaron. Next up is our weekly walk through Northwest Public Power and Public Power adjacent news in a segment we like to call Public Power Desktop. Nuclear energy is rad. So when we were fishing for guests for this week's show, we were delighted when Energy Northwest Rice President for Energy Services and Development, Greg Cullen, agreed to radiate some light on the, the news releases they've been issuing. Greg, welcome to Public Power Underground. Thanks, Paul. Happy to be here. I'm really uh, excited to have you on. It's uh, There's like Energy Northwest content that Public Power Underground needs. I agree. I agree. A lot going on and uh, happy to talk about it. Uh, happy to be a new friend of the underground. That's right. And, and you know that there is an opportunity for you to be a best friend of the underground if you really want to be. Just think, well, I mean, if you want to keep coming back, we can keep doing this. So I haven't listened to the latest one yet, at least the time of this recording, but uh, but yeah, and I understand there's even, it sounds like it's been awarded, but there's a best ultimate to ideal friend of the underground or something like that that's just been named. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, best friends, you know, it can evolve that we could have more than one best friend. I don't know how it actually works, but we're going to definitely, the belt is going to move. The Excellent. belt isn't going to stick with the first best friend of the underground. The, the belt's going to move around the region. I'm I think that's only fair. It's only I think fair. that's only fair. You know, we need we need opportunities for more people to be best friends. Um, yeah. So I, I wanted to have you on because there seems to be, as I go through uh, Energy Northwest news releases, you got a lot going on. Um, and I just wanted to like, tell me what's going on at Energy Northwest. Tell me uh, all the stuff you're working on, because it seems really like a really exciting time for you. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, you know, if, if, you, if you bear with me while I kind of do the boring, you know, uh, stuff we have to do a little bit, you know, I mean, you go back to look at Energy Northwest history, right? We were created to serve public power in this region, uh, to come together and provide things, whether that's large generating projects or whatever, um, that maybe uh, public utilities didn't, wouldn't want to take on on the, their own or couldn't take on their own, or to provide uh, economies of scale where we can do things uh, for multiple members in a way that can cut costs, you know? So um, I, I just think when you kind of look at what's going on in our region, you know, with the the you know, real focus on reducing carbon. Uh, when you look at some of the concerns about resource adequacy, and then, you know, I mean, even just, you know, you think about what's going on right now as we're talking a lot about what are Bonneville's contracts gonna look like, you know, here in the next decade, for this decade. Um, I think, you know, we, it just looked to us like it was time to really kind of refocus on our mission, get a little bit more 
aggressive about saying what what are the needs of the region and how can we help because that's what we're here for uh, yeah. not-for-profit you know entity so yeah you, the vision that's on your website at least is like to provide energy solutions in an innovative way uh, yeah. which is really that now is a time when there's a lot going on in the energy space and a lot of opportunity for um, new and innovative ways to think through power supply and your in your function Right. And so, you know, we're looking at things like we've got some uh, things we're working on in the demand side management area. You know, we did a pilot program with BPA a few years ago on, on large scale demand response uh, that went really well. And now we're, we're developing a, a demand voltage reduction technology that we're working with a member on to install. And we think can provide some some savings and benefit for other utilities. Um, as uh, you know, if you're thinking about some of the uh, press releases you talked about, you know, we uh, we're been very involved in electric vehicle charging infrastructure over the last uh, several years, uh, partnering with different uh, public utilities and, and, and really with the state and getting some grants to help with that. And uh, we were just awarded a, another grant from Washington State Department of Commerce uh, to uh, put some additional stations kind of along the Highway 12 scenic byway. Um, and uh, so we're excited about the, that opportunity and we continue to look for more uh, opportunity, grant opportunities to help uh, build out that charging infrastructure. And, you know, one of the things I really like about that concept, they talk about, you know, why, why do you do it? Why do you put it, you know, along, say, Highway 12 or something? Um, is it, aren't most people going to charge, you know, at home in their garage? Well, yeah, that's true. And that's why utilities see a benefit that hopefully it'll eventually lead to some load growth. But, but you know, I love this term of range anxiety that people may not buy until they get, get past this range anxiety. And so, you know, we, we think that investing in some of this charging infrastructure along the main, main arterials in the state, you know, kind of helps people get over that, helps them get the idea that they can travel all around the state easily and, and with confidence. Then they'll buy and then they'll charge in the garage and, and it could provide some additional load and, and certainly carbon reduction. Yeah, so absolutely. It's a topic I'm very passionate about. I love the, the vision around electric vehicle charging, the way you're working through grants, because there, there is an opportunity to try to leverage your expertise to help with grants for utilities like us, it seems like. Yeah, and I know you guys also have a lot of innovation you've done in that area, too. It's been pretty impressive, some of the things that you guys have uh, forward thinking. I, I think uh, your presentation was one of my favorite as you talked about all these incredibly innovative things you did. And then you got to the end and I can't remember what the number was. It was something like, and we have 14 electric vehicles in our whole territory. <laughs> so that, that's yeah. vision, Paul, that's vision. You know? Yeah, like the ratio of electric vehicle charging to electric vehicles in classified service territory is very high. Yeah. So, you know, another thing that we're working on, we, uh, you may have seen a press release, we're uh, uh, working on a new solar project. So we just finished our Horn Rapids solar and uh, storage and training project uh, where we've got some batteries with some solar uh, partnering with city of richland <clears throat> and now we're planning uh, we've got some land here that was former uh, hanford uh, reservation land that was uh, we purchased uh, some years ago and uh, we're looking to build uh, you know new solar project a pretty large solar project on that and we were really excited by the amount of interest we had from uh, public power from our member utilities on that so so that's one we're excited about too we're calling it ruby flats right now uh, based on some history in the area uh, it used to be kind of a railroad junction uh, that had that name there so uh, so we're kind of we're excited about that project too and, and moving that forward uh, something we expect to to have going over the next few years that's really cool but probably, uh, you know, 
one of our biggest uh, press releases in my mind over the last several months has been, uh, you know, the the uh, uh, announcement of a Department of Energy awards uh, to build new nuclear projects. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, the federal government has really come to recognize a couple things. First of all, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna be successful in reducing carbon and and addressing climate change. We're going to have to have some clean, but firm and dispatchable, um, maybe even baseload type resources that uh, it's just not something we can accomplish with renewables and energy storage alone. So um, they've also recognized that, you know, you know, the U.S. has long been the leader in uh, safe uh, operations and, and strong regulation of nuclear energy and really set the standard for the whole world. And so, uh, you know, we're looking at if we start talking about the, the current fleet of nuclear and, and you're starting to see some plants shut down because of economic challenges, we're starting to see some that are reaching, you know, points in their life where they're, um, they're uh, shutting them down. Um, you know, if, if, we, if we're going to let, if we're going to let the, the move away from nuclear, then in essence, we're advocating or abdicating that, that role of, of world leadership in nuclear. We don't think that's a good place, right? Uh, that really, to be honest with you, that means we're sort of ceding that to other uh, countries like Russia and China that continue to grow uh, their nuclear uh, fleets and, and are providing that to other other countries around the world. And so the federal government has kind of come to recognize there's some national security implications to, to a lot of that as well. So uh, Congress last year uh, in the appropriations bill uh, directed Department of Energy to, to set up uh, a program that they wanted to build two new reactors in this country by the end of this decade. And the federal government would pay 50% of the cost for that. And uh, so they, they, uh, and they provided initial funding in that appropriations bill, $80 million per project. Uh, eventually the, the limit put out by DOE for those projects was $4 billion per project uh, on the side of the government. So uh, incredibly exciting developments uh, for those of us that believe in new nuclear believe in nuclear and believe it's got to be a part of the future. So we ended up um, working with, we had a lot of utilities, or excuse me, a lot of nuclear technology vendors reaching out to us and uh, talking to us about, you know, as the only nuclear operators in the Northwest, you know, and the opportunities that I talked about earlier coming at us in the Northwest, um, you know, how we might partner together. And so we did a lot of discussion, a lot of work, uh, some risk analysis, and we sort of pared it down to two that we partnered with. And at the time, to be honest with you, we kind of thought we were probably partnering with two in the hopes of getting one award. Uh, so we partnered with TerraPower and X Energy. Um, and when, when the awards were announced in October, those were the two winning applications, the two that were involved in. So uh, we are fired up about that. It's, uh, um, I think it's incredibly exciting for the region as well and for public power and the leadership role that we're taking there. Um, the, uh, you know, the X Energy project was designed exclusively around being built here on one of our sites that had an unfinished project, uh, but right next to Columbia Generating Station. And, uh, and, and it's really targeted at public power in the region as, as off takers. Uh, the, the TerraPower project, which uh, most of you, some of you may know, uh, TerraPower is owned by Bill Gates. Uh, so it's based here in Washington State, and uh, that was targeted with uh, its its primary site option being the other 
unfinished nuclear site next to Columbia Generating Station here in the Tri-Cities in the state of Washington. And uh, they are looking at other options, but there's still a, a real good possibility it could end up here. And uh, they're looking at actually investor-owned utilities in the region as their uh, most likely off-takers. But, you know, so you think about what this all means. Again, this is very real. You got the government saying we want these built this decade. Um, they're willing to pay half the cost to move it forward. Congress recently has provided, has passed some bills uh, directing the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to make sure their processes support uh, timely and efficient uh, licensing of these new technologies. And uh, so there's a lot of work going on there as well. Um, and, and, you know, you think about uh, what this means really is the Northwest has the opportunity to lead the, the country and then to some extent the world in, in the development of new nuclear and the development of using these as, uh, you know, firm, dispatchable, clean energy solutions going forward. And what's really cool about these technologies is they just have some very significant safety and simplicity advantages and advancements um, that, that I think people are going to be really attracted to. Yeah, it's really interesting news. And it's really, I mean, a, a credit to your work in the region that you're able to get these grants, federal grants to benefit our region and the power supply in our region, which is, um, you know, a value add that, that y'all are, are performing for us in the, in the region that need this energy and need clean, clean, want a clean future. Right. And, you know, in addition to the standard stuff you think about for the energy, uh, you know, sector here in the region, I mean, just quite frankly, you know, we're talking a lot about a some very good economic benefit to the region as well if if, uh, if these projects both end up in in the northwest here yeah there's a lot of jobs associated with uh, power generation and uh in energy northwest so uh exciting news um and i always think about so every every episode we do a opening segment that's aaron reports and she goes and reads through some of the major indicators for the northwest and columbia generating station is always the boring one it's always you know operating at the same level right we continue to report on it because if it ever isn't, it's news. Um, right. <laughs> uh, but it, I think a lot of times we think of Energy Northwest as kind of the organization that runs CGS. And, you know, you are part of that organization that focuses on other ways. So it's been great to get an update on what you're working on. I think this is a really exciting uh, grant opportunities and, and, and opportunities for the Northwest. So thanks for coming on. Anything else you want to talk about or, or promote before we uh, call it quits for today and try to get you back next time? Well, I think, uh, you know, you, you hit it on the head. You know, we like Columbia. We like it to be boring. As yeah. you said, anytime we're not operating, it's news or any, you know, anytime we're in the news, it's usually not, not necessarily always uh, for the best reasons. So we like it to be boring. Um, but yeah, on the other side, there's a lot of stuff we're doing. We're excited about, you know, we're, we, uh, you know, we operate wind, we operate uh, hydro. Uh, we, we've been operating hydro for other utilities and we continue to kind of see that as a real interest and need in the region. And so we're reaching out to, you know, uh, take on more operations and maintenance, I should say, kind of for, for hydros in the region. Um, you know, like I said, developing the Horn Rapids project, the new solars, a lot of that stuff we're doing, the demand side management, and then just um, the electric vehicle charging, and then just some services that we're looking to expand on too that we can provide to our members. So a lot of cool stuff. But I guess, Paul, I guess the big thing for me is just that I'm going to be really disappointed if you don't end with some sort of question about uh, uh, seasonal time change. So uh, yeah. I don't I don't feel like I don't feel like a best friend if you don't do that. I mean, maybe we we maybe there's a conversation here. Like, y'all don't like seasonal time change, right? I mean, what's a clock change due to nuclear? I mean, this this is 
you agree, right? It's seasonal time change is trash. Oh, it's, you know, it's chaos in the control room when we lose that hour or gain that hour. Now, I, you know, I, I think it's a funny topic and I've listened to you guys talk about it and I think it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's really entertaining. Um, you know, it's, it's a funny topic for me because I don't know that I've ever been, had a, a strong opinion on this and now I'm listening to you guys with such strong opinions. I guess the way I've always looked at it, Paul, is interesting. You know, it's like, hey, uh, you know, uh, spring is here. And I happen to be a summer guy. I'm a sunshine guy. So no offense, but I grew up on the west side over there, not too far from where you are. And uh, I, don't, I just decided at some point I can't do all the rain and the gray and the drizzle anymore. So I, that's what I like about eastern Washington. But I'm kind of a sun guy. So spring, you know, hey, uh, summer is on the way. So, you know, yeah, I lose an hour. But, you know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, but I get the benefit of this announcement that summer's on the way. Then the other way, you know, fall for me is a bit rough, even though falls over here in eastern Washington are beautiful. It's a bit rough. It just means summer's going away and winter's coming and I'm not a winter fan. So, uh, you know, at least I get some reward, you know, around that time of year where it's getting dark so early. I get this extra hour of sleep. And, and then the only other thing I guess I always say is and football season. So those are the two things that I look for that give me some sort of consolation for the fact that that summer's going away and winter's coming. So, you know, I guess I, that's the way I've always looked at it. Don't know it's right or wrong, but but I understand what you're saying. You know, if we got rid of it, I probably wouldn't miss it either. Uh, my wife has assigned me to resetting all the uh, a thousand clocks. It feels like that we still manual manual reset clocks we have around the, the house that I have to run around and do. So I wouldn't mind giving that up. I appreciate you coming on. I've never heard anyone try to defend the, the seasonal time change. Like you aren't defending daylight savings time. No, I, I actually like daylight savings time. You weren't yeah. defending standard time. You are actually defending seasonal time change. I love it. Uh, I completely disagree with you, but I can disagree respectfully, which is a hallmark. Uh, and I, you know, I did appreciate your insight too. You know, you got small children, so it's it's a bit just dis more disruptive. I'm a little bit further past that. Uh, so, you know, yeah, it's, uh, I definitely get that extra hour of sleep or lose that hour of sleep. But, uh, and like I said, not passionate about it. Just telling you, that's how I've always looked at it. I love it. I am passionate about it. I am. I can so. tell. <laughs> Thank you again for coming on. It's uh, great to have you and great to have the conversation. So we'll uh, let you get back to your normal day. All right. Thanks. Bye. We had a great conversation with Greg. Uh, that was earlier this week. And today I noticed on Twitter that there was a breaking news release out of clearing up. There were a lot of breaking news releases out of clearing up and the majority of them today were fake. I almost got caught on a couple of them, specifically the one about the California PUC buying uh, generators for everybody. That was like, and that teed me up like, oh, did I just retweet a fake article on April Fool's Day? So I followed up with Greg specifically texting him the story and asking if this was real news and it is. It is. There was an MOU signed by Energy Northwest, Grant PUD, and X Energy around uh, advanced nuclear reactor development. I don't know too much. There wasn't a lot of clarity around what was included in the MOU. It was more like we're all going to work together on ownership and operations. But it was, that is actually breaking news out of Energy Northwest. And he did talk about this partnership with X Energy in the interview. Um, this is just the newest development along the same range. We're checking in on the California duck curve. According to a recent article in S&P Global, Platts by, hope I'm getting this right, Kasia Michek, the duck curve is alive and well, which is actually a quote from Northwest Public Power Emeritus. 
and current CAISO executive, Elliot Mainzer. Uh, CAISO established a new minimum net load defined as load minus wind and solar generation of 3.614 gigawatts of, on March 13, 2021 at 12.30 p.m. The article's author described the belly of the curve in pretty cogent terms that works for a podcast as, quote, in certain times of the year, the difference between net load and electricity from variable generation resources over a 24-hour period produces a belly appearance in the mid-afternoon that quickly ramps up to produce an arch similar to the neck of a duck, hence the industry moniker of the duck chart. For more, you can find Casilla's article online at spglobal.com. So this was as of March 13th. I think the, the article got published March 26th. Uh, I suspect there's going to be a series of articles about it, setting new and new records throughout the summer. It's uh, especially in, I guess, the shoulder months. I think it makes sense to set these records during the summer, sunny summer months. After daylight savings time, this is an interesting like nexus for the daylight savings time conversation that I haven't had yet about how changing clocks changes the duck curve. I, I'm very interested in this nexus of conversations. Yeah, I'm interested to know what, what that actually changes too. I assume people are home more, more load in the evening. When it's still sunny. Yeah, well, it's still sunny. Right, so the... This peak is when people get home, the load coming mm -hmm. up. So there's, I'm very interested in this. I'm not an expert, just an interested party. We'll be tracking this. Is it fair to say we'll be tracking this uh, throughout the summer? That's a great, great way to say it. I love it. It's great. Moving hey, on. We're, we're continuing this uh, podcast through the summer. Great question, Ian. <laughs> I think that's a very good question. Only if the people want it. It's probably a question we'll ask every week rhetorically, uh, <laughs> and then we'll keep doing it. I don't know. Every every year, we'll ask the question: Are we still here? <laughs> I think you're up next, Boston. Yep. Uh, next up, we're uh, check out Eugene Weekly for some great content about the value of electric vehicles for public power customers. We're all out there writing ad copy and putting articles together to convince our customers to think about electric vehicles. And in, in true public power fashion, we like to borrow from each other. So don't be shy about checking out some eWeb sponsor content. We can affirm that one, EVs have the range to fit your needs. Two, they are fun to drive. Three, charging your EV is easier than ever. Four, the fuel economy is unmatched. Five, they have a lighter footprint. And last but not least, six, we want to go even further, just like eWeb. You can find a link to the article in Monday's Energy News Digest or search for it on eugeneweekly.com. Where are we going next? Northwest Public Power Zone, Lena Whitler and Deborah Smith were profiled by APPA in an article titled, Women in Public Power Offer Insights on Pathways to Leadership Positions. One gem from Lita's profile notes that she is, quote, not a proponent of saying yes to everything because like so many women, I can't. But say yes to the opportunities that give you energy, that inspire you to grow and give back, and that bring you together with people you respect and admire. And then appreciate that opportunity, contribute and learn, and empower others to do the same. A gem from Deborah's interview is the quote that men have a big part of how women can continue to be successful in public power because often, not always, but often, women lead differently, she said. Being open to different leadership styles, being open to understanding what someone else sees in you is incredibly important. For more gems and more insights, the article was included in Wednesday's Public Power Current Newsletter. You can also find it on APPA's website under their news tab. 
Podcasting Paul's a Public Power did a crossover pod. Our own Paul Dockery joined APPA's Public Power Now to interview APPA's Vice President of Strategic Member Engagement and Education, Ursula Shriver, about uh, their upcoming national conference. You can find the full interview in our podcast feed or on Public Power Now's podcast feed. Here's a short preview of the conversation. Paul, welcome to Public Power Underground. Thanks, Paul. I'm very excited, very excited to be on Public Power Now. I have been pitching this to you for a while. The crossover podcast, very important. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you. In, in, in the words of Ted Lasso, I'm going to bring the chaos hammer to this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to bring the chaos hammer. Um, Ursula, what is your general podcast consumption level? Are you, are you a, a frequent consumer of podcasts or is this a new venue for you? This is definitely a new venue for me. I have not, I, I, maybe I've listened to one podcast. I think that someone recommended on, um, during the coronavirus on being positive or something like that, but I can't say I listened to all of it and I've never participated in a podcast before. So looking for recommendations in both, in both aspects of it. So I am, I started out listening to podcasts in like the the early Bill Simmons days, for any of you who are uh, followers of The Ringer or Grantland or earlier on when Bill Simmons was just on ESPN and the BS pod, the pod father, that's when I started. And I am all in As part of his America Jobs infrastructure plan, President Biden has floated the idea of investing $100 billion in broadband nationwide. The plan, which calls for investment in new infrastructure as well as subsidations of existing high-cost broadband networks is meant to bring affordable, reliable, high-speed broadband to every American. For more, head over to one of our favorite tech blogs, gizmodo.com. This is definitely something we have some interest in, like personal interest that we find very uh, important. And there's like a nexus here, right? It's adjacent that is public power adjacent with personal interests. So we'll probably keep following up on broadband issues, I assume. Yeah, I, I view it as an economic development initiative as well. And uh, as something that's kind of on my radar, I'm, I'm hoping there is some money coming to the Northwest that either we can tap into directly or we can help others tap into in our communities to, uh, to bring broadband to those who don't have it. Ewood's Power Resources Council and Public Power Underground Special Salmon War Correspondent returns to interview BPA's Fish and Wildlife Program Director, Crystal Ball. Crystal, welcome to Public Power Underground. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, hey, thanks for having me. Uh, this has been uh, so much fun to watch. I'm so impressed um, what y'all put together. Um, Paul's uh, version of Ted Lasso was so inspiring. <laughs> that is uh, certainly a word for it. Um, yeah, no. Uh, what 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 Paul and and uh, and his uh, compatriots have, have put together here is fantastic. I'm just I'm grateful to be a part. I, I especially want to thank you because I, I recognize this is not only your time, but you're actually on vacation. Um, so thank you so much for uh, taking a little bit of that uh, to spend with us. Um, less relaxing, I would assume, um, but who knows? Um, no, it's a great time to do it, actually. Good, good. I'm happy to hear it. Um, so last time uh, I was here, uh, and I was fortunate enough to join the underground, uh, spoke with uh, the uh, Power and Conservation Counselor, Bo Downen. Um, heard a lot about Guns N' Roses. Um, and also, we talked about how a large influx of cash um, could impact and kind of change the way things work in the region. 
uh, especially as it regard, or especially with regard to fish and wildlife spending. Um, personally, uh, I've always thought that you kind of have to understand how things work today before you can really understand how something would change them. Um, and so uh, that's why I'm really glad to be talking to you. So, because uh, you know how things work today. Um, now, uh, you know, just to set a little bit of context for everybody, um, this is obviously important stuff. Um, we're talking about fish and wildlife spending today, approximately 25% of Bonneville's 2020 wholesale power rate uh, is associated with fish and wildlife costs. Um, roughly that same percentage of the $2.5 million budget that they deal with on an annual basis is estimated to be associated with the fish and wildlife program. Um, and so that's why I'm super excited that you're here to tell me what all that means. Um, as director of Bonneville's fish and wildlife program, uh, and given your background and expertise in dealing with not just that, but also the regional issues that you dealt with previously, uh, I can think of no one better to provide us with uh, some much needed perspective. So thank you. Um, thank you. <laughs> Happy to be here. Well, good. Um, diving in, could we, uh, could we kind of take a step back for a, mo for a moment and kind of touch on the why? Um, so uh, everybody knows that Bonneville is obligated to engage in fish and wildlife uh, spending and mitigation. Um, but I think a lot of us have kind of lost the foundational justifications for that. Um, would you be willing to kind of unpack that a bit for me? Help me understand. Yeah, no, great question. Good place to start. Um, it's Northwest Power Act and uh, the Endangered Species Act. Uh, so at a very, very high level, those are the two things. Um, but let me explain. Uh, the Bonneville Fish and Wildlife Fund, um, Program funds hundreds of um, projects each year to mitigate uh, the impacts of the development and um, operation of the federal dams in the Columbia River Basin. Uh, we began this program to fulfill the responsibilities uh, established, or the, fulfill the mandates established by Congress under the 1980 Northwest Power Act to protect, mitigate, and enhance fish and wildlife affected by the development of the dams. Um, and under the Northwest Power Act, the Northwest Power and Conservation Council, what Bo is a part of, mm -hmm. they develop a program of measures to protect, mitigate, and enhance fish and wildlife. And those measures in the council's program guide Bonneville's implementation of fish and wildlife projects. Um, we uh, work with states and tribes mostly um, to fulfill these Northwest Power Act responsibilities and to also implement the offsite mitigation actions listed in the two biological opinions mm -hmm. for endangered species. So that offsite protection and mitigation, um, that those actions, they don't typically address um, impacts, uh, impacts to fish and wildlife caused by the dams, but they are actions that we can take to improve the overall condition for fish. So again, it's the Northwest Power Act, it's the Endangered Species Act, uh, that drive uh, the responsibilities Bonneville has um, for funding fish and wildlife projects. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, thank you very much for that. Um, uh, foundation is absolutely necessary. And I'm, of course, I'm going to have a dozen questions about that later. But um, what you just described and what you're doing now is very different from uh, what you used to do, for example, when we worked together uh, five or six years ago. Um, you were, uh, you were I, I believe it was uh, Oregon's representative uh, for regional affairs. Um, so what was it about this role uh, with Fish and Wildlife that interested you? Yeah. 
Um, thanks. I love these kinds of questions. Uh, they're always very revealing about what drives the person. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've only been in this role as director of Bonneville's Fish and Wildlife Program uh, for two years. I started in April 2019. Um, but I have worked for BPA for over 25 years. Um, I um, I'm from Idaho Falls. Uh, I have public power roots. Um, my first job at BPA was when I was in high school. Uh, so I was 17 years old and I was hired to work in the Idaho Falls district office. Um, but since then, I've had a ton of opportunities at BPA. Um, I've worked in uh, communications. I've worked in um, uh, intergovernmental affairs, both at the national level in Washington, D.C., and at the regional level for Oregon. Um, and so, you know, what I'm passionate about is the value of um, the Columbia River system. And I just saw an opportunity um, in the Fish and Wildlife Program um, to really uh, contribute. And uh, also, you know, what I wanted to do uh, in this role uh, is to clearly communicate uh, what we do and why we do it, and also to build um, support for the Fish and Wildlife Program, both internally um, with the Bonneville executives, uh, like Joel Cook, uh, who collects the money and rates to support this program, right? And um, with uh, externally, with our customers um, that fund these projects that happen in their service territories. And my idea is to connect um, our public power customers to the fish and wildlife programs that are projects that are happening in their service territory. Um, so lots of great reasons to, uh, to be interested in this job. Um, and- I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> a true believer. <laughs> um, I, I'd criticize if I did not consider myself the same. Uh, thank you for that. Um, yeah, as you said, always always revealing about uh, where where someone's coming from and what their motivations are. Um, so we, we keep talking about um, you know fish and wildlife money. Uh, let's actually dive in and uh, talk a little bit about the financials. Um, so last year, for example, uh, fiscal year 2020, Bonneville reported. Uh, I want to say total fish and wildlife costs of 611 and a half million dollars. Uh, total program costs, um, 238 million was the direct funded program, right? Yes. Uh, and that's habitat improvements, research, hatchery, et cetera. Um, those are huge numbers, um, you know, even with regard to the two and a half million that we talked about earlier um, and, you know, represent um, big ideas for, for the region as well. Um, can you help break that down for us uh, or for me? <laughs> probably should know the answer, but very... Admittedly, does not. Um, no, you know, this has a lot of nuance. And um, what we do is we report the fish and wildlife costs. Uh, and those costs, as you mentioned, include uh, a bunch of things uh, like um, foregone revenue and um, power purchases. And that's what drives up the number to, you know, 600 million. Um, mm -hmm. As the director of Bonneville's Fish and Wildlife Program, I'm responsible for that 200, 250 million uh, in um, funding for the direct program. Uh, that program um, that funds hatchery restoration, um, that builds and um, maintains uh, hatcheries, uh, that program also, uh, you know, evaluates the success of these efforts too. And we invest in um, 
scientific knowledge through research. Um, and all of this work is implemented through annual contracts, um, many of which are associated with multi-year agreements uh, like the Columbia Basin Fish Accords. Um, but that 238 million uh, for fiscal year uh, 20 um, also reflects the challenges of implementing projects um, in a, a pandemic uh, yeah. during COVID. Um, you know, a lot of our partners um, were shut down um, by COVID. Um, tribal governments couldn't get together and um, meet and make decisions. Uh, state governments had furlough days. Uh, and so, you know, that number 238 uh, reflects those constraints um, in COVID. Uh, but also it is the third lowest uh, compared uh, to previous 10 years. Um, our direct program costs have ranged from 221 million in 2011 and at the highest 2018 um, at 258 million. Um, but consistent with the strategic plan, I am managing the, pro um, the cost of this program at or below the rate of inflation through 2028. Um, that's a tough job. Uh, so to you know, kind of join this effort in 2019, just as we were bending that cost curve, mm -hmm. uh, we, we've got to take a real um, disciplined approach to managing the Fish and Wildlife Program. Um, but we do a lot of great work and it's, um, a lot of it is on the ground, working with our state and tribal partners um, to implement uh, habitat restoration projects uh, to, you know, increased production of fish at hatcheries. Uh, it's really good stuff. Love it. So um, just to kind of to, to wrap this up and put a bow on it, you just mentioned the strategic plan. That's going to be guiding everything Bible does for the next uh, foreseeable future, let's say that. Um, what's new and exciting about it? Why should I care about the latest iteration? <laughs> Specific well, to what it is that you do, of course. Yeah. Not to touch on the other stuff. <laughs> but like I said, managing the cost of the program uh, is um, going to take a lot of discipline. Um, and, uh, you know, we're um, kind of at the tail end of these um, multi-year agreements, uh, the Fish and Wildlife Accords. Uh, we signed those with um, state and tribal partners uh, in 2008. They were extended. Um, they expire in 2022. Now, these accords are a tool that we use for implementing um, the projects that help Bonneville meet its fish and wildlife mitigation responsibilities. Um, but we're going to be, uh, we see a lot of value in those accords. Uh, they have created funding certainty. They have built um, relationships uh, with project partners, um, specifically the tribes. Um, and for existing Accords partners, uh, the executive leadership of um, Bonneville, Corps of Engineers, and Bureau of Reclamation, Reclamation um, have made a decision to pursue long-term successor, long-term successor agreements to the Accords. And we're going to start negotiations this year uh, to make sure that we're set up uh, for um, uh, long-term agreements um, before the current ones expire. Um, it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate. <laughs> um, no wonder you had to take a vacation to do this sort of thing. Yeah. I've got a great team, um, though. Uh, 
There are about 55 employees that work in the Fish and Wildlife Division, and they work with the states and tribes to implement these projects. Um, They're constantly busy, uh, and they are passionate about the work that they do as well. And we're really um, focused on building collaborative relationships. I've also got a great executive team, uh, Scott Armantrout, the VP. Mm -hmm. um, He brings a new perspective to this program, um, as well as um, our uh, Deputy Vice President Dory Welch, who will be kind of engaging with the partners in these negotiations. She'll be the point of contact for post-accords, um, long-term successor agreements. And then Ben Zielinski, um, you know, really helping out with the long-term policy. So it's a great team. I, I think I've got a great job at BPA. Well, I think I would agree, um, uh, having, having heard this and having uh, spoken to you before. Um, so yeah, I want to be respectful of your time and uh, obviously everybody's time um, who is listening. Thank you so much for your insights. Um, thank you so much for taking time out of your day off to spend with us and make us a little bit smarter. Um, wanted to uh, end kind of with an opportunity. Um, is there anything you think the underground and our listeners uh, should be looking out for? Anything you'd like to promote? Um, whether your work, Bonneville's work, anything at all? Well, let's take it back to Ted Lasso. Uh, I loved that show. And like I said, I loved Paul's um, Ted Lasso. Um, One of the episodes uh, that um, resonated with me most was uh, the episode where Ted quotes Walt Whitman, be curious, not judgmental. Uh, That's the way I like to approach my job as a place um, from a place of curiosity and not judgment. I think about the times when I rushed, rushed to judgment and um, did not open myself up to learning. And so I just leave you with be curious. I like it. I think that's a perfect way to end. Thank you so much once again. Um, and uh, with that, uh, Paul, back to you, sir. Okay, you're up next, Guillory. The NWRFC held a water supply briefing on April 1st to go over changes to water supply for the last month. March came in with way less precipitation than normal, with much of the basin with less than 50% of normal. Snowpack has deteriorated for most of the basin with lower Canada now near normal and the snake uh, falling to below normal. For the water year so far, the upper basin has had 85% of normal precip with snake basins at 70% of normal. Forecast calls for some precip in in the next 10 days, but pretty dry compared to normal. This translates to an April through September ESP 10 water supply forecast at the Dalles equal to 91% down 4% uh, from last month's briefing. Climate Prediction Center's three-month outlook shows around normal temp in the basin and below normal, normal uh, slash normal-ish precipitation for basin. The next water supply briefing will be held May 6th. You can sign up for it on Northwest River Forecast Center's website, which you can Google lots of different ways and it still gets you there. I don't know how many spelling errors I had when I just typed that in. Still got me here. It's, it's not a uh, finable violation by the grammar police, Paul. When I, when I mistype, that's a typo, I assume it's called. Who said that? Who are you speaking for? (laughs) Ian says. (laughs) Okay, last but not least. Yes, and more breaking news today. The power department is changing and the power department is hiring. We're looking for someone to join this outstanding team of public power professionals who is intellectually curious, detail-oriented, and loves turning data into information. 
It's an entry level position, so industry knowledge is not required. We're looking for somebody, someone that hates VLOOKUPs and pivot tables and loves SQL, R, and Python as much as we do. And uh, it would probably be good to uh, to hate the the daylight savings time change, but that's fair to say. I don't know if we can use that as a disqualifying characteristic. We'll, we'll have to ask <laughs> uh, Sarah. Yeah, we'll have to ask Sarah um, whether we can. What we'll to ask. And preferably is okay with folks talking in the third person based on today's podcast. So um, the job posting is on NWPPA's website. It's probably on Klatskan IPUD's website. We're also spreading the news far and wide. Public power, where passion meets nuance. Public power, where our mission serves an essential purpose. We're blasting this out there. It's an entry-level position. Uh, don't have to have industry experience. We're looking for just people that uh, don't take themselves too seriously, um, but can seriously turn some data into information. Process SQL, have to hate VLOOKUPs so. though. Aaron is going to be on the interview committee. So maybe you should, maybe that's collusion and you can actually reach out to her. I have no idea how the hiring- I was just making jokes. I know, I really, and then you I keep mean, saying you're making it. jokes, which makes them less funny, Brian. You just gotta lean into it. Well, you know, I didn't want to get us in trouble for being like, hey, if you put a VLOOKUP in an Excel spreadsheet in your test, you're not getting the job. That was probably, that'd be just like too far to just leave that without. Yeah. You think so? You think so? Or my strategy, you will get the job if you put VLOOKUPs in there. No, I mean, that's not going to be the case. (laughs) We've got a Uh, well-rounded hiring committee. (laughs) You don't don't want to mislead people, Aaron. You don't want to mislead people. I joke, I joke. And if, I mean, if you're going to use a pivot table, if for some reason you send us an Excel file, with a pivot table in it that made to be disqualifying maybe <laughs> okay we're very, I'm very excited who, very excited doesn't want to actually apply but wants to troll the heck out of paul they can send in some example spreadsheet or something with their fake application that has pivot tables and vlookups and uh extols the virtues of daylight savings time all that it would be a pretty pretty good troll job yeah Next to yeah. So, a power manager yeah, if you want to really uh, troll me in a job interview, try to defend seasonal time change. <laughs> I'm very excited. It's going to be great. We're going to, this, this, if you know somebody that thinks that does not take themselves too seriously and would have fun in this department, that's what we're looking for. And they have to like data. All right. Well, that's all the news we're covering this week. Send us any news, jobs, questions, opinions, or corrections to Paul on Twitter, as previously mentioned, at the Power Manager. Or if you're a friend of the underground, send any of us a note. Any corrections from last week, Paul, specifically niche versus niche. I noticed that was taken out of the intro, and uh, I just figured we'd throw that out there for a possible correction. Okay, so I try to grow as a person, okay? And there are people in my life that I respect and that I try to follow the lead of. One of them is Zach Lowe from The Low Post. Uh, really early podcast subscription of mine. Continue to listen. It's the reason I follow the NBA. He says niche, okay? He uses niche. I believe he was a high school teacher before he got into following the NBA. Um, he says niche. And, and it's an area like, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know what to do. I'm so not going to use the word anymore. I'm just never going to use the word because I can't say school, niche. So a high school teacher and a MBA podcaster, he he has more credibility than a uh, linguistics major and yes. a lieutenant in the grammar police. Yes. 
Okay, just yeah. clarifying that. Yes, clarifying that. Any clarifying thoughts that. on that, Ian? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I said the same thing as he said, so I don't even know what we're talking about here. Yeah. The other area that I've really tried to, and this has been an evolution and really a trained behavior that I'm trying to continue to improve upon, is, is transitioning. I was a very much a two spaces between sentences in, in when I type things up, emails, Word documents, between a sentence, it's space, space. I'd, I'd always done that since, since I learned how to type. I am trying to evolve and do a single space, just one. I've learned that maybe that is the new normal and that is the new standard. And it's another area where I am trying to evolve as a human person and take guidance and feedback from, from my colleagues and people I respect uh, and trying to be better. Oh, that's well, what I didn't, didn't we come out, didn't we find the, maybe it was Ian who found the technical update where it was changed so that the, the single MLA space guide. was appropriate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I'm trying. That's all I'm going to say. I'm trying. I don't always do a great job of editing my emails. I'm trying. Well, I'm well sure I also need to point out that technically it's Latin and Latin is a dead language. So we don't know how it was pronounced, but we have a pretty good idea. And Aaron, the way that word is pronounced in English is emeritus. Yeah. Nothing means anything. It is definitely oh emeritus. Which is a $15 fine under, yeah. the, under the regs. Yeah. So we should we should have a little section at the end of the podcast where the lieutenant in the grammar police corrects all of our corrupts. Is that is that coming next? Oh my week? gosh. We yes, we need, when we hire someone, an editor for the PPU, we should have them also do like voiceovers so that in between sentences they'll like just break it out and be Emeritus. 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 In the middle of the sentence. That'd be gold standard. <laughs> Ian could just do it. I am. I am. A, <laughs> I am attempting to hire. Uh, and by hire, I mean um, you go assign someone a, a fake title for Public Power Underground. I'm thinking like editor at large. I like that title. I mean, I want to be the editor in chief. I, I mean, I want to be the editor in chief. Like an editor at large. It seems it seems uh, it seems the right level, but so I was also trying to find a fact checker, and the first person I thought of was Eric Espenhorst from Seattle City Light. Uh, all of you that uh, attend these regional meetings with me probably have a similar respect for Aaron, Eric Espenhorst, and he politely declined. He politely declined, but he sent this in the email. Okay, and this is the highest praise I could possibly receive for Public Power Underground. It goes, I quote from Eric Espenhorst. And I told him I was going to use this as a promo. Quote, I enjoy the show. Hope you keep it going. You've made it. Boom. Mic drop. <laughs> Give that man a belt. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, does the editor at large uh, get a belt? Is there Are there going to be more belts for these titles? I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a Dundee. Mm-hmm. Maybe we know, could do just, name plates. We could, those have to be cheap, right? The ones that go on your desk. We have but, an engraver here. I found out about this because I wanted a new one and apparently it's uh, on hold because somebody's now in the space of where the engraver was. So we could just do this. Hey, Eventually. Special uh, Sam Amore correspondence. It's gonna be a title. It's gonna be a placard. Northern. 
Oh, this is the best. Editor at large, gonna be a placard. Somebody's getting the editor at large. Too. It's going. It's, it's definitely now. Okay. Am I up now? No, you gotta finish up. Yeah, I think uh, well, we kind of went off the rails there, but uh, the readers appreciate your willingness to evolve, and so do we at Classic IPUD. So thank you for setting the record straight on niche versus niche and double spacing versus single spacing. We will be back next week to talk about public power and public power adjacent news. To make sure you don't miss an episode, you can sign up for an unintrusive newsletter with links to all the ways to consume this fascinating content on Substack at publicpowerunderground.substack.com. Otherwise, you can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast, or your favorite podcast app. That's all for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Public Power Underground is Northwest Public Power News from a Power Department's perspective, presented for entertainment purposes. It's written, edited, and produced by the Power Department. The views here expressed are our own and not the official views of Klatskin IPUD, nor of any person or organization affiliated to doing business with Klatskin IPUD, nor the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Neither Klatskin IPUD nor those appearing on Public Power Underground generate ad revenue from the episodes. Make Matt, Crystal, and Greg feel better about their participation in this week's episode by sending them a note, text, or email with a thumbs up and telling them how much you enjoyed it. Do it for us, do it for them, and do it to make other people feel valued and appreciated. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground, it's work to watch! <laughs>